0: So you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and we are in a series titled, What is a Disciple of Jesus Christ? And we've been looking in this series at characteristics that make up his disciples. Last week we saw that a disciple of Jesus Christ loves one another. We talked about the importance of love in the life of a believer and of a Christian, Today, we're going to be looking at the next characteristic, and so if you have your teaching sheets, get them out early, because here is the next, the first point here, that a disciple of Jesus Christ worships, worships. I read a story this week about a woman who went on a short-term mission trip to Kenya, and on the, the way there for part of the trip, she was in a remote village helping out in a medical clinic. And as she was in the clinic helping out, she heard some singing outside, and so she wanted to go and she checked it out. And the singing was beautiful, moving singing. And so she didn't know the language they were singing it in, but she was so moved by the harmonies and the rhythms of this beautiful worship song that they were singing. It was so moving that she began to cry right there, even though she didn't know what they were saying. When the song was finished... It was as if she could feel the the presence of God with her right there. Afterwards, she turned to someone who was in the group there, who was bilingual, and she asked her to to tell her what, what they were singing, to translate the words of this beautiful song. And so the friend looked at her a little strange and then gave the translation, which was, if you boil the water, you won't get dysentery. Now, sometimes we confuse what worship is. Now, depending on your church background, you may associate certain situations, certain music, certain settings with worship. But worship is more than a feeling. It's more than a place. It's more than a song. Worship is more than just being in a service here. And so today, I hope that you're going to walk away with a better understanding of the importance of worship in the life of a Christian as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But I also hope that you're going to walk away with one of the ways and how we truly worship. Because worship, and I'm going to say this multiple times throughout the service, goes far beyond singing. Though I certainly hope it includes singing in your life. And our main passage is only going to have two verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And to begin, I'm going to start out by reading verse 1 as we start our message today. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're going to stop there. And I want to point out That first of all, Christian worship is assumed. It's assumed, meaning it's given. Paul is appealing to them here in this verse not to worship, but he's appealing to them uh, of the form of worship. He just assumes that we are going as Christians to worship. And so track with me here. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is being a Christian. We talked about that the first week of the series. And as a Christian, one of the th- one, uh, we are people who have been saved by Jesus and have been adopted into his family. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so at the very core of who we are as disciples of Jesus Christ are people who have this idea that we have been saved and redeemed and transformed. And so that's why he says at the very beginning of verse one, I appeal to you therefore, because what he's doing there in that verse, he's looking back on the first 11 chapters of Romans. We don't have time to go into the first 11 chapters. In fact, when I preached on it last year, we took about a year to get through the first 11 chapters. But in a nutshell, the first chapters are basically talking about the mercies of God. And he's saying, based on what God has done for you, by the mercies of God, because, listen, church, the only reason that you're here is because God has been merciful to you. And what did he accomplish in those mercies? In Romans 1 through 11, he talks about how we, as people, every one of us are sinful. And because we are sinful, we are deserving death. And there's no way that we can save ourselves in our own power. And that's because... Jesus then, we are saved because Jesus stepped in and died for us. And it was his love and mercy that sent him to the cross for us. And so Jesus became the ultimate sacrifice, paying for the penalty of our sins. And through that sacrifice, he made a way for us to be saved and to be brought from spiritual death to life. And that in a nutshell, is what Paul's referring to in chapters 1 through 11 when he says, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. So, based on the mercies, Paul's saying, I appeal to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So, putting all this together, he's saying, one big reason that we worship God is because he saved us through his mercy how do we worship him, though, through his mercy? How do we worship God? And Paul says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what he's saying is that Christian worship involves far more than just singing or church. Now, again, don't get me wrong. We should be singing. We should go to church. In fact, Paul says in another one of his letters, let the word of Christ, that's that's scripture, let scripture dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So he's encouraging us to do all that, but it shouldn't stop there. To Christians, we should sing, we should study Scripture, we should pray, but those are really just byproducts, what I I might call worshipful byproducts of what should be going on in our lives as Christians. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12 to worship him with our bodies, what he calls a living sacrifice. Now, Paul was writing to many Jewish Christians so they understood the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so up until Jesus came, there was a, a whole system put in place in the Old Testament where if you, if you sinned to be made right before God, to atone for your sin, you had to sacrifice an animal. An animal had to die in your place on the altar. And so now Paul's figuratively telling you, because they, they understood what sacrifices meant. He's figuratively telling them to throw themselves on the altar. Now, he's not saying it literally, and he's not saying that we are paying for our own sins through our own sacrifice, because clearly in chapters 1 through 11, he's made it very clear that we are not the ones that can uh, make atonement for our sins. It's only through Jesus. So he, he's sort of using figurative language here and saying, hey, you understand sacrifices, now make yourself a living sacrifice before God. That's how we should live, and that's what worship is. So at its most basic level, worship is about offering up your entire life to God. So again, I hope you attend church. I hope you sing loudly, loudly. I hope you are taking notes right now and listen, and listening intently as we are studying this scripture here. But if that's all you're doing as part of your Christian life, then you are not worshiping him like you should. Because last I checked, I, wanna, I, I looked at the calendar yesterday. Sundays only make up one-seventh of the week. I know. I know. I can prove it. (laughs) And what you do with the rest of your week is just as important as what you do on Sunday. Paul says that your living sacrifice should be holy and acceptable to God. So in other words, your lives, every part of your lives should glorify him. Should, should be holy and should be acceptable to God. Are we going to mess up? Yeah. But there's a difference between messing up and trying and not trying at all. And so don't give them just the Sunday parts. Because it's not just the public parts. What you do at night is just as important as what you do during the day. What you do on Friday evening is just as important as what you do on Sunday morning. We are to live lives that are holy and acceptable before God. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? It's hard to live lives that are holy and acceptable before God. And that's why he gives the next verse here. He says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is what is good and acceptable and perfect so paul says to not be conformed to this world literally saying don't be conformed to the patterns of this world so he's not saying that christians should be completely removed from the world I've shared about Simeon before. This is Simeon Stylites, and he was a monk in the 5th century A.D. He became a Christian at the age of 13, and he entered the monastery at the age of 16. My son is 15. When he turns 16, I'm going to be sending him off somewhere. He doesn't know it yet. Don't tell him. He eventually ended up moving into the mountains because he was too intense for the the monastery and he moved into the Simeon mountains, which is in uh, modern day Syria. And he wanted a solitude life to show his devotion to God. But up in the mountains, people kept coming to him and asking him for prayer. And so he got tired of these people. And so he moved up onto a three foot wide pillar that was 10 feet high up in the air. Now, if you've, uh, if you've been, ever been a parent or are a parent, you know that 10 feet up in the air is not going to get you away from everyone, right? <laughs> Your kids will still find you. So he later moved 50 feet up into the air. And he lived on that pal- pillar for 37 years. And I share this not to give parents ideas here, but I share this as an example of what Christians are not called to do. We are not called to be away from the world, to just hiding out on our own. We are not called, or we are called to not conform to the world. That's why Jesus prays in John 17. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. So how do we accomplish this in order to live a life of worship, though? How do we live in the world, but not conform to the world? And the next part of the verse tells us how. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So what you let in here is going to impact what the rest of, Of your body does. When I was in high school, I was real involved in my church's youth group, and so one day, I think it was on a Saturday, there was a a moving day where we were moving a bunch of things around at the youth group. So a bunch of youth and I and the youth leaders were all moving things, and as part of that, uh, we got everything moved out. And after a long morning of moving, there uh, a few youth and I were just hanging out outside, just sitting. And uh, we were looking and noticed that there was one of these uh, pallet jacks here that we had been using all morning to move stuff. And so this is a pallet jack. This is gonna play an important role in the story in a moment. And so we looked at it and at the, the youth building sat at the very bottom of the hill. I actually looked it up last night. The church isn't there anymore in that spot, but um, the, the, where I grew up, uh, you see here there's the, the, the orange, or the red square is where the building was, and then where you see the start is sort of the top of the hill, and then there's a parking lot down at the bottom of the hill where, uh, where the youth building is. And so one of the youth I can't remember if it was me or not came up with the idea of riding the pallet jack down the hill. Now, what could go wrong, right? I mean, it's a pallet jack. And if I'm remembering this correctly, two of us climbed on to, uh, we didn't climb on, we pulled it up the hill, we pulled the pallet jack up the hill, and then we climbed on to the pallet jack handle was facing down the hill. So it was sort of like our steering wheel. And one of us steered while the other sat on the, on the two legs there holding on to the other person. And then we held on for dear life as it rolled down the hill. Now, as you can tell, since I'm here, I didn't die. Uh, In fact, everything turned out okay, but it was very, very close. Because as we were going down that hill, it started picking up speed. And at some point, I remember thinking, this was not a good idea. (laughs) We didn't realize that it was gonna start going so fast. Who knew? Who knew that pallet jacks could pick up speed? And so there it went down the hill, but it didn't stop there. It went down the hill and across the parking lot, and it was going so fast that if you, that if we were to jump off, we would have hurt ourselves there on the pavement. And so it went right toward a parked car, and then, Thankfully, because we had our little steering wheel there, we were able to steer it just away, just close enough away from the car that it slammed into the curb, missing the car by about a foot, and we went flying into the grass with a little poof right there on the grass. And here's why I tell you this story. That what we did was a direct result of what we believed. Our belief led to the action that we took. So we thought it would, number one, be fun, and that, number two, we wouldn't die. And without thinking much more, like a typical teenager, we didn't think much more, and we acted. And so, I don't want to make your mind explode here, but um, I also want to add that our actions leading up to that event also led to our beliefs. So everything that we did up to that point influenced our thoughts about the situation. And so uh, I don't want to get into a, a little crazy loop here, but our actions led to certain beliefs, and then our beliefs led to certain actions. And as disciples of Jesus, we need to remember this, that If we want to be worshipers, we must have the right beliefs and the right actions. Because if you have either one of those, it's going to mess up the other. If you have wrong beliefs, it's going to cause you to act the wrong way. Now, I was thinking about this, and and I've shared this video before, but um, there's a video that I came across last year about a greyhound race. And uh, I want to share this, and as I prefaced last year, I do know Greyhound Racing is not smiled upon here, so I'm not promoting this in any way, Um, but this was a video, already took place, and so let's go ahead and let's take a look and see what these uh, dogs are up to. They're away. Favourite began well. Penny Eagle, but beating it out here was Jasmine Lilly, which found the early lead. So Jasmine Lilly. It's half was last. It's Jasmine Lilly still with a big lead, though. Jasmine Lilly for Mari, Then Penny Eagle and Lady Shanna. Oh, they've caught the lure. They've caught the lure. Gee, if you're on Jasmine Lilly, you're stiff, because it was going like the winner. Jasmine Lilly. It... Uh, Jasmine, Lily, would have won. I think, this is a, a, I think this video is a great picture of how we look many times. Where these gray, greyhounds ended up doing the wrong actions, it was because they had the wrong beliefs. They thought that they needed to catch the lure. In reality, they needed to cross the finish line first. But we can forgive them because they're dogs. But yet, how many times? Have we done the wrong actions because we've had the wrong beliefs? And this begs a question similar to, I ask, similar to how, what I asked before, and that's how. How do we have the right beliefs? And so the second part of verse 2 tells us how we do that. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, Is what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so that last part, he's talking about the testing and discerning, refers to knowing how to live out God's will in every situation. And that happens when we are constantly renewing our minds in Him. And so we change our beliefs by renewing our minds with the truth of God's Word and ways. One pastor put it this way. He said, as one's mind keeps on being made new by the spiritual input of God's word, prayer, and Christian fellowship, his lifestyle keeps on being transformed. So here's my challenge to you today. That if if you want to be worshipers, then you need to focus on renewing your mind constantly. Here's a number of ways that you can do this. None of these are going to be novel things here. I've talked about this many times before. Read the Bible. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Spend time in prayer. Pray scripture. Go to church like you're doing here. We're we're preaching and studying the word of God and singing songs worshiping God. Listen to to good Christian music. Spend time with, with fellow mature Christians. Listen to sermons while you're driving. All these things are ways that you can renew your mind here. And the more that you do these, the more that you're going to have a chance to renew your mind, and the more that you and renew your mind, the more that you're going to have a chance to live a life of worship. Every once in a while, uh, my wife gets creative with the, the food that she makes, and sometimes it gets a little too spicy for... For um, some of the other folks in the house, like me, and so one time there was this chili that she made. It's very good, but one when my when we put it in her mouth and it was like I could feel it sort of burning through my tongue and lower there. Um, so it burned and burned and burned. And the way that she fixed it was by putting other stuff into the chili to sort of dissolve it, not dissolve it, but sort of spread things out. Put some noodles in and, and put a little bit of, of other liquid in there. And, and as these things went in there, they reduced the spiciness of the meal. And likewise, as, as you are going through life, sin is going to get in you. But as it does, the more you renew your mind like that, the more you get stuff in good stuff in your mind, then the more likely that you're going to be uh, renewing it and then able to worship him. But on the flip side, not only should we renew our minds, but we should also change our beliefs by guarding our mind from sinful influences. So if you think about this, uh, there's two sides to the coin here. On one side, you're constantly renewing your mind. But on the other other side, you're constantly defending your mind. So let me read what another pastor said. He said, The key question then becomes, are we feeding, what are we feeding into our minds? Most Christians have little choice but to spend 40 or 50 hours every week in the world making a living. It is hoped that most Christians will also spend time with unbelievers as a means for ministry and evangelism. But if we spend all of our discretionary time watching network television, reading secular books, and listening to secular music, it will be a wonder if our minds are not fundamentally secular. Our job is to cooperate with God's Spirit by seeking to feed into our, uh, by seeking to feed into our minds information that will reprogram our thinking in line with the values of the kingdom. So notice, he's not saying, and I'm not saying, that we completely avoid all secular things. What I'm saying is that we should be intentional about how we use our free time. So there's certain parts of time that we we can't manage. Like like we go to work. We can't uh, stay away from certain influences there all the time. But we can influence what we do in the evening when we're relaxing. So you can't prevent all sin from coming into your mind, but you can likely prevent more than is currently coming in. So it's okay to have fun. It's okay to watch shows and have, to, to watch good shows, assuming they're not profane. But instead of watching, say, three hours of football and two hours of Netflix and then two hours of video games today, how about you reduce some of that so that you're having fun and relaxing for part of that time but then you're also renewing your mind for another part of that time. So find a balance here where it's not just all on the stuff that's going to keep you away from renewing your mind. So I want to I want you to leave here determined to renew your beliefs. And as you can see, it it takes time. One time in the Bible is not going to change your mind about things or change your beliefs, but I want you to be intentional about renewing your mind every day, because that is how we learn to live lives of worship. If we're going to be a living sacrifice before our savior, I want to close with this thought. I came across a book review um, just yesterday, and the book's called uh, The Woman They Wanted by Shannon Harris. And it caught my attention because the author and her husband uh, are both from where I grew up in Maryland. And so I'm going to preface this by saying that most of you will have no idea who they are, or the books that I'm referring to here. But just hang with me here because, because you'll, you'll get the main point uh, in a moment. Shannon Harris is the wife of Joshua Harris. And Joshua Harris was the pastor of a big church in Maryland when I was a, a teenager and, and late teenager. Uh, in, er, in my early 20s also. And he's also well known that before that, in the 90s, he wrote a book that was popular among certain youth groups, called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which it makes a case for courting instead of dating. Now, no one wanted to date me or court me, so the book didn't really impact my own life. But I was very familiar with it because there was a lot of discussions about it among my youth group. And so Joshua after the, the book became popular, he, he was an associate pastor at the church, and he then, at a very young age, became the senior pastor of the church. Years later, it would come out that the, the mentor pastor, the one that was a senior pastor that then um, retired when, when Joshua became the senior pastor, turned out that his mentor was, uh, was not a very good person. And among other things, this founding pastor chose to cover, cover up uh, sex abuse in the church choosing church growth over protecting victims in the church. And eventually, about 11 years later, Joshua and his family left the church and moved across the country. And then a few years after that, Joshua left Shannon and declared that he was now gay and no longer believed in God. Now finally, fast forward a few more years to the present, and Shannon, the wife, is writing about her story. I didn't read the book. It just came out the other day. Uh, I don't plan to read the book, but I read uh, a, a review and a summary of it. And let me tell you, it's a sad story. And based on what I read, it's a sad story about a senior pastor who was not living in a way that was holy and acceptable before God. And then it was about a pastor's wife. And I don't know her actual words in the book, and I don't know all the details, but I know that the pastor, her husband, did not live in a way that was holy and acceptable before God. And then based on what I can tell, it's about her, through these influences and through her observations, eventually choosing to not live in a way that was holy and acceptable before God. And it was a sad reminder to me of the detrimental effect that a person can have on another person. When we don't live lives of worship, it impacts us, but even worse, it impacts other people. And I don't want those around me to end up like that. I don't want those around me to want to know God less because of things they see in my life that, that do not line up with what I say. I want those around me to want to know God more, not less. And so the, this story made me think this week a lot about my own life. You know, am I living a life of worship before God? Are my thoughts and my actions holy and acceptable? And I was thinking about that: The people that are most likely going to see that and be influenced by that are my wife and my kids. And so in 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 years, is my wife, during that time, going to want to know God more or know Him less? And I want to ask the same about you all, husbands. You all, wives. In 10 30, or in 50 years of being married to each other, is your relationship with God going to lead your spouse toward God or away from Him? Parents, after 18 years of raising your kids, are they going to be more interested in a personal relationship with God or are they going to be less interested? Bosses, coworkers, Do your employees or do your co-workers want to know God more or less after working for you or with you? I mean, we think that our spiritual life is just a personal thing and only impacts us. But what we believe determines how we act and how we act will have an influence on those around us. And may it not be said of us, church, may it not be said of those at Island Pond Baptist Church that we speak a good, uh, that we talk a good talk about Jesus Christ, but we don't live it out. I want every one of us to live lives of worship before God. So these two closing questions as we wrap up. First of all, I want to ask you, have you given your life to God as a living sacrifice? So some of you today may have heard me talk about all this, and you're like, I- I've never even given my life to God. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to turn to him and give him your life. And as I say, many weeks, the Bible says in Romans ten nine that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe it, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So I want to encourage you, if you've never done that before, turn to Him. Turn to Him right now and ask Him to be the Lord of your life. Second, what is in your life that you need to change to live as a living sacrifice? What is in your life that you need to change to live in a way that worships God with your entire life, not just your Sunday life? So may we all leave with this conviction that that we want to be different than the world. That we want to live in a way that worships him in every area of our life. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to go into a a time of communion after that. If you don't have your communion cups, don't worry. In a moment, um, uh, I'll have uh, Bill come down, and he can hand out to anyone who didn't grab it. But let's go ahead and let's spend a moment now in prayer.